Welcome to Unbroken Jars. I'm Doug. And I'm Randy. And this is a podcast where we explore individuals' real-life stories and real faith. You're listening to Unbroken Jars, Episode 17, A Joy-Filled Steve. The light of Jesus shines through the darkness, and we carry this light in unbroken jars of clay. We have a life and a story about our faith journey, but we're not struck down or destroyed. Our stories shine the light on Jesus and His power. Our faith walk has forever been shaped by the life of one man. That's Jesus. Jesus continues to use these real-life stories of those around us to mold us. We dive into this world by investigating, interviewing, and walking alongside real people who share their stories, their faith stories of struggle, sin, joy, and victory, and how God is leading them will help shape your faith journey in unbroken jars of clay. Today, Steve Shelton is joining us. Randy and I, along with uh, other families, started meeting during COVID to watch Mayfair services at 2820. And each week we were there, we met different people coming to the door who were experiencing homelessness and others from that community. And each week we'd in, invite them to you know, come back and visit the services. That, uh, and over time, we came to know several of these individuals we form a relationship with them because of what God decided to do at a place where a few families came together to watch a digital service. One of these individuals who came to the doors at 2820 last summer was Steve Shelton. And over the last year, we've come to know and love Steve. This man brings joy to every place he goes. Uh, he is a light that shines. And I promise by the end of this interview, you will fall in love with Steve just like we have. <laughs> And you will see the joy that comes. So, Steve, thank you for joining us. Well, above all, Doug and Randy, I, I hope some of those are, who are lost out there, I hope they will fall in love with the Lord, and I hope that I will be able to lead them to that. Yeah. And if they fall in love with me for doing that, then that I did what the Lord asks, expects me to do. Right. I, I think it was Paul that said, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. And... Uh, we see that in you, Steve. But thank you for, for being willing to join us today. It is my honor and my privilege. Yeah. Thanks to both of you. Hey, Steve, for the sake of those listening, and, and uh, we know some of your story, uh, but can you fill us in a little about your, your uh, early years, You know where you're from and a little yeah. about your family growing up? And so forth. Well, um, I'll give you a little uh, some information on my family background. Um, I was uh, born out of wedlock. Um, I was born to um, my grandparents oldest daughter and uh she suffered from alcohol and uh mental illness for most of her life mm-hmm. um it was because of the problems that she had and her inability to raise me um it was when my grandparents made an intervention and uh they had decided to with with the approval of, of my mother to adopt me and take me in and uh, rescue me from a situation which, um, since the age of four, when I was living with my mother in uh, government housing in the old Lincoln Project area, I, I began to wander the place around. And I was, of course, uh, um, 
didn't know this uh, at that age, but I was endangered and, uh, because of the, the elements within that area. Mm-hmm. And um, once this got wind to my grandparents and they saw what was going on, they staged an intervention and decided to adopt me. And I had been uh, living with them since the age of six years old. So you're, mm-hmm. you're, from, you're a Huntsville native then? I'm a Huntsville native. Mm-hmm. Yeah, born and, born and raised here. Um, like I said, with the exception of the maybe one, one, a year and a half with my mother, um, I, my, basically my, my parents had raised me, my grandparents had raised me all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, they officially adopted me after when, when I was the age of five, just short of six. Okay. Do you remember any of that? Yeah, I do. You remember that? I remember wandering the streets and, uh, seeing all kinds of people, mostly kids playing and, uh, you know, being, you know, ch- children just want to play, you know? Yeah. And fortunately I, I, I did not uh, come into any horrible elements of any adults who would, you know, feed or prey on, on, on children. So I was lucky that did not happen. Mm. Um, but uh, it, it was living in that kind of an environment uh, with my mother who was not uh, emotionally or mentally stable and being an alcoholic uh, on top of that, um, it was she was not possible for her to be able to um, live up to the responsibilities that a parent has to uh, raise and nurture a child. Mm-hmm. And um, so my grandparents decided that, you know, this was a, a dangerous situation for me. And uh, they were prepared to go through any avenue possible in order to uh, obtain custody of me. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, that didn't have to happen. My mother realized that she, she just could not accept that responsibility uh, she knew that she couldn't do it mm-hmm. so she willingly willingly gave me up but I maintained a relationship with her um, because she you know she, she loved me and I loved her she was she was not a bad person she just had a problem with uh, with addiction mm-hmm. and uh, she had a problem with uh, with her with her mind that uh, she couldn't deal with she'd been in and out of psychiatric uh, hospitals since she was probably around 19 yeah you know and um so i i got a uh, i got a a, a, a safety latch mm-hmm. <laughs> so to speak through my grandparents right so you grew up in your in your grandparents home tell us a little more about that you know you you and i've talked before and and mm-hmm. we've talked about the environment that not only that environment but um the surrounding family environment as well and some of that was good some of that was bad tell us a little bit about um that. For the most part, it was good. It mainly because my grandmother was the strong, uh, was the strong parent of the family. Um, both she and my grandfather worked, so we didn't have a problem making ends meet. Um, I didn't live a, a luxurious life. They were working class people. They were uh, children from the Depression. Yeah. Um, they were near adulthood at that time. By the time the depression rolled around so my grandparents both had hard lives Mm -hmm. um my uh grandmother came from an abusive home she had um, a mother that had many relationships with other men so she had many different half siblings and uh, my father uh, my grandfather excuse me um he was abandoned by his uh father at the age of 12 to um take help take care of not only his mother but his two younger brothers Mm -hmm. um and so he did not have a good childhood, so to speak. He mm-hmm. basically had to pick up the reins and be a man at the age of 12 and run, uh, run the family. And um, 
through that, he, he harbored a lot of resentment. And uh, a lot of that resent, resentment was felt because he had an anger management problem. And uh, that was the hardest part of being, being in that household. And my mother, my grandmother had that same problem too. But they were able to keep things together in order to, to make sure that I was well-fed, well-clothed, and that I was getting an education. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there was no true um, nurturing process where, you know, they're, they're taught lessons. They did not have that kind of patience to do so. So mm-hmm. I was just told what to, what to do, when to do it, and don't question it. And uh, if, if they're not lead, leading by example, uh, just do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. You know? All right. And, um, and it also came uh, into play when it came time when I was old enough that when my mother was going, grandmother was going to church, I uh, got ex- an experience with that early on, and I got a, an education in, in how the Pentecostal churches work because that's where she went. And these were the people that uh, uh, would do the, the shouting, the speaking in tongues, and that. And, sure. and this is another example of why I was never explained why certain things happen, because uh, to me it, it was quite a traumatic experience to see my grandmother during the middle of the service, and uh, the, the preacher was a very, what you call a fire and brimstone preacher. And uh, when she got stirred up, she would get up and start gyrating, and I thought there was something wrong with her. And my... <laughs> great aunt her uh, most trusted half-sister who lived across the street from us at the time she's such a dear woman she would take me by the arm and say steve she's got the holy ghost and i didn't know what she meant and she wouldn't explain it and i thought well if that's the holy ghost i don't want any of that yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh it, to me, it, it did not to, <laughs> it did not turn into a the beginning of a spiritual uh, awakening or, or experience with the lord it was a traumatic experience and i thought this is not what i this is not how i would worship sure you know i, I don't want to be a part of that but eventually um, my grandmother lost interest in going, getting up early on Sunday mornings after working a hard week. So there was a time she would go, but she still insisted that I go to church. So um, our next-door neighbors that we lived, to, lived next to who uh, had adopted a son themselves that became my childhood friend, mm. um, uh, we started going to West Huntsville Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And that was more a stable um, worship environment you know, without any kind of uh, ritual uh, that uh, was, I, I wasn't familiar with. Sure. You know, it, it, they speak strictly from the Bible. They, they, they would teach Scripture like we do at our church. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, but it, 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 it was still a more formal setting that I had been used to, and that's why I thought all churches should be, or, or was told that's how all churches should be. But... Um, it was around, and everything was going well at the time until um, um, as I got older, I was looking up more and more to, to my uncle, who I thought was really cool because he, uh, he, was, he was the youngest of the family and the only son of my grandparents. And so um, they over-nurtured and coddled him, and he did not turn out to be um, a person of good character. Mm-hmm. And that was to which I wanted to mold myself after. Mm. And it was through him that I was first introduced to marijuana, which was the beginning of a f- four-decade struggle with, uh, with uh, s- illegal substances and alcohol. Hmm. But it did not come to fruition until my grandmother had died at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. And when she died, the family structure started to, started to lessen 
Um, people in my family wanted to, you know, had their own agendas, mainly the older adults, like my aunt. And by that time, my mother was already out of the picture. She uh, became strange to the family. She had married a man that she had met in, um, while she had uh, went on another uh, excursion to go around the country to find herself. And um, when she came back uh, with this person who had the same kind of alcohol addiction she had, they ended up getting married. And um, I ended up um, depending on my grandmother more. And then when she she died, um, my grandfather was only interested in getting remarried. And he had settled with another woman with a daughter that I had as a stepsister that uh, it just did not strengthen the family. It just made it grow that much farther apart. Mm -hmm. And by that time, I was already uh, seeking solace in, uh, in alcohol and marijuana mostly. But uh, through th at the age of 14 was when my, um, my uncle had introduced me to marijuana. And then a couple of years later, it, would, uh, go, it went to cocaine and uh, quaaludes. You know? And uh, it just was no guidance from my father, my grandfather, because he was more concerned with his personal needs and not trying to nurture that of, of his teenage grandson. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was missing a lot of things in my life that, uh, and I just, I just had a severe identity problem mm, sure. due to that, uh, due to that uh, lack of attention and seeking it uh, in other avenues, except those of healthier relationships, which I, I strive to, to, to have, uh, through some of the people that I, uh, was associated with in school who was, who had, um, solid families a, a mother and father and went to church mm -hmm. and there was one family that uh, i got uh, to know through a person that uh i went to uh, was on the football team with in high school and for a short time i went to uh, their baptist church and then it was around by the time the age of 15 when my grandmother died um i had just disassociated myself from anything spiritual altogether i'd i had lost my faith in in god at that time mm -hmm. because um when my mother grandmother was in the hospital after she had suffered a, a massive heart attack she was placed on a ventilator and never regained consciousness and so um, when they did an eeg scan to determine whether or not she had brain function it was it was gone and when they told me it was uh help no need to keep her on a ventilator then that was when my faith in god was gone as well because i i thought you know how could this happen mm. you know uh the age of 15 <laughs> you don't have a concept of reality that it can hit you hard and and what the consequences of reality uh, can be and i was just i felt so let down Right, and to be fair, now we we talked about this earlier, and I never heard this. I've heard your story a few times, but you know, you talked about being with your grandmother, yeah, when, yeah, when she died, yeah, I mean, she at, the, the the Wednesday it was June the eighteenth, as a matter of fact, and uh, she would was talking to my aunt on the phone earlier that morning before she went to work, and she was complaining about um, her head, top of her head feeling heavy her she had chest pains that both her shoulders were numb and i didn't think that was good but uh i always thought well you know it'll all be fine she's just not feeling good she'll be okay when she 
uh, she just rests a little bit when she comes home from work. Well, she she went on into work, and it was around noon. She came back. She said, I've got to go to the hospital. And, uh, of course, you know, I was only 15, so uh, I did not even have a learner's permit to drive. So I got in the car with her, and we went to the uh, – instead of going to the emergency room, she decided to go to her, to, to her doctor, forgetting uh, – our family doctor, forgetting that he was off that day. And uh, as we were standing up uh, against the doorway to the, uh, the doctor's office, she said – she slumped, and I put my hands on her, on her shoulder – and her last words was, oh, Steve, I'm gone. And she collapsed in my arms, and I caught her before her head could hit the ground. Mm. And I started doing chest compressions on her, and uh, I started screaming for help. And uh, the, the doctor's office next door, who was uh, open that day, um, the receptionist called the nurses, and they performed CPR upon her until the ambulance got there. And then when the uh, paramedics arrived, they began to work upon her, and um, she wasn't breathing. After about 20, 25 minutes, uh, they finally got a pulse, and then they transported her to the coronary care unit at Huntsville Hospital, mm-hmm. where she remained for an additional five days. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the 23rd of uh, June, um, my grandfather and my uncle and my aunt decided to have her removed from the uh, respirator since uh, the EEG you know, showed no brain function. So yeah. that was where I just, I'd cried the whole time that she was in the hospital. But when she died, they told me my aunt um, from by marriage, who was there helping console the family, uh, she said, it's okay to cry, Steve. I didn't have any more tears. Right. Mm-hmm. I had no more tears. I had nothing but, but anger and, and I felt I felt betrayed by God. Yeah. I so thought, how could you do this? This is kind of back to where you were talking about just a minute ago. Is like this is where your faith kind of went, or belief. I don't know if there was a faith there or not. Well, was, the belief basically went out the door, but it didn't go out altogether uh, because I was raised to believe there is a God. Right. But I thought, well, where is He now? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, not understanding that what God's purpose is 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 to is to show us what the word and and where the word leads to but when you're when you're a child and you you've just had the only source of 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 comfort and stability that you've leaned on the only real mother you've ever had snatched away from you um most children would the last thing they would be trusting in is 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 god or anybody else for that matter yeah and so, so, so you, you mentioned earlier that was around the time you were already introduced to marijuana. Yes. And so just a couple of years after that, got into... Cocaine. Cocaine. And, 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 and other opiate. various pills. And then it was in, it was in the, uh, around 1989, 1990, uh, I got uh, heavily into opiates. Mm-hmm. So tell us, lead us up through a, a significant part of your life because there's a gap there between then and the time we met you but lead us up before that time well yeah. it uh i i went to a succession of jobs uh working for a um a medical supply company and pharmacy and um then eventually um i went to work for 
uh, the food service business in in, 19, in 2001. Um, um, no, excuse me, 2002. Um, but prior to that time, it was spent mostly on alcohol and and um, and pills. To which uh, eventually I got away from the very individuals that I was getting that from, because uh, the pressure in, in wanting to them wanting me to be a supplier as well, mm-hmm. I, I thought you know I'm I'm really trotting dangerous territory. Yeah. So it was hard because I went through withdrawals that I did not seek help for, and and then eventually once I got away from that. And and the, uh, the the sickness from the pills, the alcohol replaced all that. So primarily for the last about thirty years, I was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. functional, if I may say in quotations, only because I was able, uh, unlike the, the the pills, I was able to get up and shake off the cobwebs from that enough to where I could go to work. But my um, my responsibilities and 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 um, you know, um, practices of, you know, um, uh, what you, you know, when, um, just everyday things like cleaning your house or making your bed or bathing regularly, those things were going out the door. You know, I was losing complete responsibility, uh, to my personal health mm-hmm. and safety of that. And I was just subsisting and, and existing, but I just, I had no real life. It was go to work, come home, get drunk, pass out, get up, go to work, come home, get drunk, pass out. That was it. Mm. I had, it was, uh, and all of it was during a faithless continuum because I didn't believe in anything other than what I was doing. You know, mm. I, I had no guidance, no direction. I had no friends. Most of my family uh, I was disassociated from. Um, it was just... Uh, you know, a very, very lonely existence. So for a significant time then, you were an alcoholic, and you would call it a functioning alcoholic. You know, that's, you know, somebody that's able to at least keep a job. Yes. Right, whatever that is. But you mentioned there's a point where uh, a lady you were hanging out with. Yes, this is a lady. Uh, she she was uh, what you call a bad girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she was basically about the only friend I had in between times where she was doing stints in jail and then coming back and, and continuing to live the, the life she was living. Um, we, 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 we had that kind of friendship because that was basically the only friend I had. And uh, years bef- after the last time I had seen her, I was in, uh, drinking liquor so heavily that within from... 2011 to 2015, I had ranked myself to congestive heart failure, mm. and uh, which has changed my uh, physical. It's, it's, uh, it's altered my physical health, uh, per, you know, f- basically for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, I thought I was, you know, going to turn over a new leaf then, and uh, up, and I went back after about a year, and uh, started drinking again. Mm. And then I thought in, in 20 late mid 2018, I thought, hey, I'm going to. I'm going to, I want to turn over a new leaf again. And I can tell you that does not work. Mm. Uh, you, if you think you could do anything on your own to trying to kick a bad habit, it doesn't work like that. And most people out there uh, who are 
happen to be listening, they under, they should know that as well. Yeah. And um, so from a um, few months, I, I went back to the gym. I was started to work out. I was losing weight. I was really doing good, thought so. And then uh, one day uh, when I'd gotten off work, I was on the way home, and there's that lady again that I hadn't seen in a long time. I want to see how she's doing. So I picked her up and didn't take long to figure out that uh, what uh, we came to, <clears throat> came to terms with what we were both looking for. So we went back to my place. But she said, first, let's go. Uh, I need to go see a friend for a minute. I knew what she meant. And I thought, okay, we'll just do this, get it over with. And uh, we stopped at a house of someone she knows. And uh, she came out. And then we went back to my house. And she uh, started to do her thing. She had uh, got her her paraphernalia out and i was just waiting for her to do what she was doing i said is that meth or 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 crack she said this is crack i said let me try that and she looked at me funny and said you never done this before the whole time we've been together why are you going to try it now i said just out of curiosity yeah well you know curiosity killed the cat as they say Mm -hmm. and uh it, it definitely uh killed my notions as to what kind of drug it was and I was instantly hooked, uh, just like that. Um, and it uh, did not take long before I was a full-blown addict within that first week. Um, this was in um, August of 2019. Within four months, as my uh, situation with my behavior began to deteriorate and my, um, and my performance on the job, um, it uh, took a, an accident on the job where I was driving the... Uh, the route truck, I hit a pole in a parking lot at the store that I was working. And uh, within a few days, uh, I, had, after I had to, this was during a holiday, during a Thanksgiving, and uh, I had to go take a drug test that following Monday. Well, for some reason, that got, uh, that got held up. So it was the following week, and instead of drying out from that, from what I was doing, um, I continued to smoke crack. And uh, naturally, when I had the test done, and then about a week later, at when the test results came back, I was told they were positive. And it was one day before my 16th anniversary with the company I worked for. Mm. And I was ushered out the door. And no, I did not, I did not learn my lesson. Um, crack cocaine uh, ruled my life at yeah. that moment. I didn't even drink alcohol. I didn't even smoke cigarettes because that was the all-encompassing power that had taken control of my life. So this was right before the pandemic. This was right before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Which kind of leads you, uh, hopefully, to not initially a better place, but at least there's a light in this story. When you came to 2820 over the living room um, where we first met you, Steve, um, maybe tell us. I think you kind of already alluded where you, what you were, what was happening in your life at that point. But maybe tell us what you were experiencing, and how, how or what brought you to twenty eight twenty. Well, it was my second brush with death, as the first one in twenty fifteen was uh, congestive heart failure due to excessive alcohol consumption. This one was starvation due to the fact that I had no money to buy food. Hmm. And uh, my bills were mounting up. I had no money to pay those. And uh, all I had uh, that uh, gave me comfort during this pandemic and the fact that um, it was uh, nice for the uh, 
the utility companies not to turn people's uh, power off at the time. So I picked up my promise book. It was the only you know book I had. I had no, I didn't have TV. I hadn't watched TV in a long, long time. I just listened to the radio and uh, wondering where I was going to get the next meal. And uh, I went two stints where I did not eat food at once for 13 days. Mm. And then after about a week after I had gone through what little I was able to find through the kindness of some other folks, um, I went 15 days without food. And at one time, Mm -hmm. um, I had dropped to 146 pounds and um but i kept reading the bible and i kept finding some kind of hope in there that uh it you you had all yeah i had a lot of epiphanies a lot of um just things that jumped out at me as to why i have done what i had done for most of my life and um it was during uh an evening when i was walking uh excuse me reading the Bible, and I heard a message on the radio for the Salvation Army and where you could get food. And I knew where the Salvation Army uh, was, and it was just less than a, less than two miles from where I lived. Problem was I didn't have a car because thanks to my, uh, my crack addiction uh, and inability to pay my bills, I had my car repossessed. Mm. So I, it was the first message I got from the Lord on where to uh, turn to to get food and help. And I had made the trek on foot down there uh, on one breakfast morning. As a matter of fact, the very next morning after I heard that message on the radio, and I had, it was the first meal that I'd had in almost 16 days. Wow. wow. And it gave me enough mm-hmm. energy to go back. But let me tell you, before I get... Uh, on any further let me tell you something about how powerful reading the bible was for me before i um had suffered my second stint with starvation for 15 straight days there has to be something out there and it's what made me realize this is what started to really regain my faith in the lord um, it was on a Saturday. I, I had gotten up. I was weak. And I got to the door. I had not checked my mail in three or four days. I opened the door. And there's a cardboard box sitting on the front porch. It had food in it. Mm. had orange juice, bread, uh, lunch meat and they even had a a a pack of uh oreo double stuffed cookies (laughs) and uh Mm -hmm. and they had a uh uh, some bottled water in there i thought where did this come from where did how 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 can anybody know no i don't have any associations with anybody other than the people that i worked with and they certainly didn't know. And everybody was in lockdown because this pandemic pushed me further into isolation. Mm-hmm. So I thought either a miracle's going to happen or I'm going to die. And I 
was so weak I couldn't even pick the box up and carry it back in. I had to drag it over the threshold of the front door. And needless to say, I did not go check the mail. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was able to go back to my bedroom and eat. And the whole time I sat there eating, I was pondering. I looked up and I said, you must be there because I don't think this would have happened if you hadn't told somebody (laughs) something. Sure. Somebody found out what was going on. I don't know how. Mm. I just know it did. And I no longer believe that things happen by coincidence. I really do not. Because my faith in God is so strong now. And it's stronger day by day. And I believe that not only is one's faith that transforms them through the power of the Lord, everything changes. As in the scriptures, all things go away and all things become new. Doug and I were talking about this this morning at breakfast. I said, everything changes about you. Your speech changes, your, your behavior changes, your thoughts changes, your appearance changes. Everything changes. And the more you keep on that steady shoulder-to-shoulder walk with the Lord every day, he gives you blessings. And I'll tell you what I believe in what blessings really are. Blessings are resources that God gives you to pay back to somebody else mm. when God was there for you. All right. He doesn't want us to take them and hoard them. He wants us to spread them around. And that's why I believe in a ripple effect. If you've touched the life of one person, that's the pebble that has you've thrown in the water that creates that ripple effect that eventually spreads to other people. Sure. So can you tell us a little bit, still back to Randy's question, excuse me. <clears throat> can you tell us a little bit about, because I, cause I know you're getting to a person. Mm-hmm. Who had a ripple when effect I, and on I'm you? Yeah. Going back to that, thank you for uh, <laughs> getting me back on that track. Um, the second day I was there, there was a gentleman. I don't want to mention his name, but he's he was already a member of Twenty Eight Twenty, and he introduced himself. He shakes his, he shakes my hand. He thought I was homeless, and I wasn't breaking a sweat or anything. This was in the dead of summer. And he wanted to know, how do you do all this? How do you, how do you keep from... Uh, I didn't tell him the whole story about, you know, I, well, it's easy for me not to, to burn up because I'm not out, outside like you are all day. But it was through him that uh, I, I found out of other places to go and get help, like First Stop, Manor House. And, um, and he said, I go to church. He said, you read the Bible? I said, yes, I do. I said, it's the Bible that led me here. And he said, well, I go to church every Sunday, and uh, it's over here at 2820. I said, where is it located next to you? He says, I don't know. He said, but it's just right up the road. Well, I was supposed to meet him there that Sunday. I got there a little late. uh, was going to meet him at the Salvation Army. He was going to lead me there uh, to 2820 like he did the day before to lead me to Manor House when I met, met him there on a Saturday. Well, I said, he said, it's this way. Okay. And uh, I got there finally, and I saw people going in this building. And I said, hey, that's the old VM Burkett School uh, uh, bookstore (laughs) and supply store. Yeah, the Huntsville natives know it. Yes, yes. And I said, oh, and it's next to the Buster's Bait and Tackle in the old uh, Big Spring Cafe. Um, But uh, 
I, I didn't know what to expect. I just thought, okay, I'm at a gathering where there's a lot of people here, okay? And it's during a pandemic. This is great. Now, now I'm able to be around other people. Uh, but it was trying to understand the people that that church reaches out to. And the more that I went to these places like First Stop and Manor House, it was through 2820, which I'm about to get back to, that helped me to understand that fellow man is just as important as yourself. And as I walked into the door, the first person that greeted me there was Logan Jacks. And he was, you know, our um, uh, choral uh, leader at the time. And then um, I saw the table and everybody was sitting at the tables because everything had to be distanced because of the pandemic, you know. So I saw Tom, and I sat there, and I said, I jokingly said, hey, you couldn't wait for me there, could you? He said, <laughs> I waited for you, but you didn't show up. So. <laughs> and then there was another gentleman um, sitting uh, there that I got to know at the Salvation Army. Um, but then the person sitting there with a mask on and the lovely dark hair, I found out was your wife. Yeah. <laughs> she introduced herself as Jessica, and she said that they were from all from Mayfair, and that uh, she gave me a brief synopsis of uh, how all this started because I wanted to know how are you able to do this and 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 not get in trouble with with these restrictions, mm-hmm. you know? And she said that's how the Lord works, and uh, I wanted so desperately to tell my story. Because I was so ashamed, I was broken, I was lonely, I was, I was so sad, and and I found a place where I think, I think now I can, this is a place where I can get all of this sinful and addictive baggage off of me. I didn't, I couldn't explain it at the time, but it was like the Lord was telling me, okay, you're here now. This is where I want you to be. Just trust, just trust people here and, and and just let it happen and it was from that first day and i was talking to, to jessica and i was telling her that i came from a bad situation and she said do you want to talk about it and at the time i i didn't be, not because i thought it was personal that i didn't want it. i was shamed sure yeah but it wasn't until about a week later the very first bible study and that was when I got to meet Luke. Uh, I had met Luke actually the previous week, the second time I had been to uh, the, the first service. Um, and I sat down with him at the Bible study, and Randy was, uh, was uh, Harville was leading the, the study, and Luke began to ask me questions, and I broke down, and uh, I told him what happened. Why, why I'm in the state I'm in, and that I, you know, I just, I just needed help, not, not to the physical help that I needed or any monetary help. I meant I needed spiritual help. Yeah. I needed to cut through all of this, this foggy clutter and try and redefine, find out, you know, where all I went wrong and, God was was doing that, and Luke was another tool that he had had used to help me with that. And uh, meeting you, and then 
that day that I met Jessica, she introduced me to you. And I thought, that seems like a very nice man. You were very <laughs> friendly. I hadn't experienced the, being around friendly people in a long time. Sure. And I got to meet you, and you were you made the, the announcements, you know, uh, you, and you led the prayer. And I thought, there's this guy over here, and I'll tell you this for the first time, what I thought when the first time I saw you. I said, here's this guy looking like Andy Warhol, who uh, <laughs> lead the prayer. And, and I thought, hmm, something is, is great about this. I don't know what, but it was the beginning of the building blocks of that foundation that all of you that I got to meet and got to know so well that provided for me that uplifted my spirit when it needed the uplifting the most. And uh, it was the second Bible study where I met Ben. And I opened up to him. And I'd seen him in April before, and um, I got introduced to them that, uh, that Sunday previous. And I started to tell him my story before the Bible study began on that Wednesday. He, all he did was he just looked at me with this kind, compassionate smile and, and in his, that he had in his smile and in his eyes. And he said, I love you, Steve. And when he said that, I didn't think, how does this total stranger, can he say he loves me? I didn't think that at all. I thought, not only did I believe what he said, I felt it from him. Mm -hmm. because a person who lives for God, who lives for the Lord, has a compassion that exudes from their spirit. And even if you're a believer or you're not a believer, you feel it from them because it's genuine. Because when you live for the Lord, you live for, to help bring happiness to your fellow man, mm -hmm. especially when they're in their time of need. And... It wasn't long after probably about several months. I stayed clean. Miraculously, I stayed clean. There was plenty of temptation that uh, being at uh, the Salvation Army and being around those that, that have that same problem, especially at first stop. But I managed to avoid those elements. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, the same friend that uh, led me uh, to this wonderful church um, needed a place to stay and i felt obligated this is this you know god used this this man to help me uh so i allowed him to come live with me well the serious backdrop backlash to that is um he another thing that he and i unfortunately shared was the same addiction mm -hmm. and addiction to the same drug and i it wasn't really his fault it was my fault for allowing him this to happen, allowing him to let drugs come into the house. Mm -hmm. And it was around the time of February, no, late mid-January. This was right after New Year's of 2021. I relapsed. And there were times when I didn't show up at church a couple of weeks, and, I, and neither did he. And I believe y'all knew that something was up, even though he tried to cover for me but i thought they're not going to buy this no. they know if you're you're staying and i even had the argument with him i said they know you <laughs> what's happened to you and i'm not there they know what's happened to me too but that was where i really 
uh, had to the, my true come to the Lord moment because I realized I was getting something wonderful that I had not had since I was the age of 15 when my grandmother died. I got a nurturing, caring, loving group of people who are living for the Lord, and they're helping, they're, they're helping everyone, and they're bringing the Lord into the lives of people. You brought it into mine, and when I relapsed, I felt like I had slapped all of you in the face. I couldn't deal with it, and my enthusiasm for being there had waned, and everybody knew it. You knew it, Doug. Yeah, yeah. You saw it, Randy, and Ben and Luke especially saw it. So did Jonathan. Um, there's just and and even Lynn and Rick at their Bible studies on uh, then was Thursday. I mean, I just was just there, just listening. I was just I had cut myself off from from um, participation in the studies. Um, I was ashamed. I didn't want to admit what I had done, and I finally um, asked after a service when you had that that Sunday that you had played a uh, excerpt from the, the Chosen. Yeah. And I could see I could see you staring at me. I had my mask on, and I normally <laughs> didn't like wearing those things, but I wore mine to hide shame, not to not to hide from germs from the pandemic. And uh, you close. You wanted me to close in prayer. And the prayer I, I, I mentioned was to try and break the chains and yeah. shackles from addiction. Yeah, I remember that. And I knew that this was either now or never then. And so you and Ben and I went into the little office right behind the counter next to the, next to the kids' playroom. And I said, I can't do this on my own. There's no way. I've tried for 40 years. I can't do it. Yeah. I said, and I don't want to live like this anymore. I admit it to you all that I had relapsed. I said, I can't do this anymore. And you looked at me and you said, you know, you know, most certainly can't do it. And then you looked at Ben and said, I think they've got a bed open at his way. Mm. And that was the words I wanted to hear. I'd heard of his way, but I, I never really gave it consideration until that day. And Ben said, yeah. And Ben, you know, knowing the people that he knows there, yeah. like uh, like uh, <clears throat> Daryl Floyd and, mm-hmm. and, and Tom Reynolds, you know, who's, whose son Andrew is a, a wonderful um, flock member at our church, that I've d- developed a relationship with him as well amongst all of you. And um, I got – Ben had signed, gotten me signed up that uh, following Wednesday – after Bible study, and within three weeks, I was, within three weeks, uh, he, he called me, and uh, I, he said, they've got a bed ready for you, Steve. It'll be this following Monday, if that's fine with you. I said, it's fine with me. I'm ready. So Ben got together with me and said, we're going to, day before his way, we're going to have you give your testimony to everybody just give your life story and i did and the best thing was the day before i came to his way was that uh, ben and luke baptized me in the holy spirit and i i got re rebirth my spiritual rebirth began that day yeah march the 14th when i was baptized and i was ready to go to his way the next day yeah, 
over this over this time period. So, it, for those listening, it, if you know Steve or encounter Steve in the future, I promise you, there's a reason why we call this joy is because there's a joy that comes from him. But yeah. you, you've been on a faith journey that really it was kind of the lack of faith now into faith. And over this last little time period, how have you seen your faith grow in this process since, well, it's you've kind of expressed along the way, but uh, how have you seen your faith grow and, and how do you see God using you even now? Uh, well, um, once I got to his way, was when the, the my faith began to grow even more because now I'm amongst other men with the same problem as me. And some of them had the same problem with faith as well. Uh, I'd seen a lot of them come and go since I've been there. But uh, I maintain very healthy relationships with men, particularly those who've just recently gotten there, who want to be not only free themselves from those shackles, but they want to get a closer walk with God. And this is where the expansion of my faith has grown because it's, it's there, not, not just at our church at 2820, but where God is using me to help strengthen them. Yeah. Mm. That, that just by itself is uh, what uh, has uh, helped my faith to grow and blossom to be that branch on, on the Lord's vine, and I'm doing all that I can to produce great fruit from that. You realize that you're a vital part of this. It's, it's so neat to watch and see, you know, we all feel broken in some way, no matter where we are, if, if, if we're coming out of addiction or if we're coming out of whatever. But it's so cool to see this turn around and see, like, your story is why Jesus came for all of us. Yes, absolutely. Like your story, and now he's using your brokenness, yeah. your history. He's using you. He's he's inserting you. You are little image bearer of Jesus now. Yes. And it's just so cool. Uh, another thing about our church on Sundays, uh, I love going to the very people that were there to help and just sitting down and talking to them. Yeah. I don't... I don't uh, uh, purport myself to know a lot, but one thing I can say, and I can say it with pride, because this is one of the gifts that God has given me. He's given me an ear to listen. Yeah. Because sometimes you can say more when you say nothing and just listen to someone else who needs to be heard. Yeah. You know, you talked earlier about Jessica. That's that's one of the things that she's mm-hmm. taught me over and over because she each week will, every time if we're ever there, she's sitting listening to somebody, right? Yes, she she is. She pulls those stories out of people so quickly, even if they don't want to give them. (laughs) And and, uh, she will see see the same. Whoever looks at her and says hello, she sits right down there because that's the message she gets from the Lord, that this person needs to to be heard. This person needs to be ministered. This person needs to to be able to express themselves so that Jessica can give them the words of wisdom from the Lord that can make their day. Which just is, just just make their day if, if nothing for nothing for no other reason. Right. It's the same way he's using you now. Yes. That's really cool. I was just gonna so if you look think about it, Steve, what is uh, what is the future 
it look for look like for you? What are your how do you think God's leading you to do? Ministry. Each day is a learning process that uh, I'm going through at his way. Um, just this past week, I've completed my fourth phase. My fourth phase. I'm now in my fifth phase. Um, each phase represents a, a band color, which starts with red, green, blue, white, which I just completed, and now I'm um, gray band. The gray band signifies that you three months before you complete the nine-month process, and then the month after that, in the month of January of the new year of 2022, the second of January, I will I will be graduating from from the the process but i will still be a part of the program because immediately i'm enrolling into the three-month program to make it an entire year of healing process through his way in the arg which is known as the advanced recovery group right Mm -hmm. and i am looking forward to all those things that i can learn from that not only to, to continue my my spiritual growth but to learn more about stewardship, leadership, um, to work with our church, as well as uh, in some form or fashion here with Mayfair, not as well as with His Way, and the wonderful store that uh, contributes contributions to His Way, which is the Saving Way, yeah. and is a job that I have that has made me feel more happy and content than I have ever been in the last 40 years. I loved my last job. I was not a whole person. I was not a, a true, faithful servant to that job and the people with, for whom I worked. But I am at uh, the saving way. And the fact that it uh, is a backer to his way through the contributions it makes through its sales, it, it's just an, another uh, link in the chain of, uh, of strength that the Lord has given me. Mm-hmm. Uh, to continue this this road that he has chosen for me to walk. Yeah, there's a uh, there's some you know folks probably listening out there, Steve, that may be going through difficult situation right now. Maybe similar to what you've gone through, addiction or just shame of sin. Basically, think there's no way out, no hope. Um, could you, as we kind of close things out here in a few minutes, maybe is there something you can maybe share? What would you say to that person? that maybe is in, that, in the midst of that darkness right now that could offer them hope? I would say whatever you have in your heart, whatever person that you may have in your life, or whatever desire you have that you want to do that's to, to, that, does, that means something to you and is positive, latch on to that, especially if you have someone in your life that you care for. Use that love for them that they have for you. Reach out, even if you're if you're not religious, if you if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, have something, some goal in mind that can get you com, uh, convicted. Now I'm biased. I will tell them. First, you need to sit down and think about a relationship with God, because right. with throughout through Him, everything is possible. Without Him. Very few things or nothing is possible if you don't have some true belief that can lead you in a positive direction. This is the best positive direction I've ever been led, and that's exactly what I would tell them. Yeah. And 
latch on to the Lord, and he'll help you believe in yourself once you first believe in him. Right. Um, Steve has become... Actually, we are Steve's family at his way, where there's there's four of us who he has... Yes. I think he... We consider him our family, and, and in my personal family, I, I want to tell this, is that he not only to Jessica and I, but also to our children, you're like our family. Even last night, Porter came up from, Porter plays in the band, and we took Steve to the ball game with us, and Porter came up and just sat with Steve the whole time. Yeah. He didn't even speak to us, really. I mean, he and Steve, of course, yes. they share a, a love for really cheesy jokes. Yes. And, 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 but... But Steve, you you mean the world to us. I know I've told you out that outside of a microphone, but I'll tell you inside a microphone where other people can hear it. We love you, and you do mean the world to us. And I love you all because you yeah. meant nothing less than the world to me. Because it was to all of you that God has led me. You are the building blocks of the foundation, as I said earlier, that has rebuilt my spirit and has put me on solid ground and not on and 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 off of the sinking sand and um i don't mind being shared back and forth with all of you you and i'm going to mention them all for all the names you randy and Rhonda, and you and jet doug and jessica and porter and millie and davis luke laura eliana and vivi and jonathan kaylee Cece, and lucy and and holly and max yeah. And Max, that, that's another, I've got to slip this in before we close. <laughs> yeah. um, he, the first day I was there, I saw this little, cute little, I didn't know, he looked like about three or four years old. He looked like Dennis the Menace. <laughs> <laughs> he walks up to me, gives me a little red post-it note card with his name on it. Excuse me. Very much. I thought, Lord, led me here for a reason and it was because the little boy gave me that and I used it as my permanent book marker mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. and uh, I knew right then that something special had happened and gaining all of you as I said earlier the people that I hung around with at school were the ones that really and truly had it together with solid families well it's better late than never I have all of that through all of you now and no matter what kind of uh, problems I may have or thoughts I may have during the day when I may feel down, and believe me, when that happens, the, the devil creeps back up on you. All I do when that happens, I sit down, I just clear my mind, meditate, pray to the Lord. I look to my left in my mind, and I see where I've been. I look to my right, and as clear as day as I am sitting here with you, I see all of your faces, and those feelings go away. <laughs> so I have no fear of the future. That's why I only believe that it is important to live in the present, because our God is in the here and now. Yeah. The past matters not. We'll never be able to go back to it. He knew that past before we before it even happened. He knows our future, which is on the way, but it's not for us to know, only him. What is important is that we live for each other right here in the moment, and that's where the future leads us all together and will leak hand-in-hand with those that he brings us in contact with that he knows needs to have that same guidance and love that all of you have given me. Well, um, Steve, I'm thankful for you. 
I'll tell you what, I, I want to wrap this up just with a prayer, and then I'll close this out. God, thank you for Steve. Thank you for using him. Uh, Father, I'm sorry for the journey that he's been on, but I'm thankful that he's able to use that journey now to share in our lives, to bring joy to my life, to bring joy to my family's life, to bring uh, joy to all people that he comes in contact with. Father, now I see how you're using him at his way, and I just pray that continues to be an avenue. Father, I pray that he continues to be able to help those off the street who are struggling with addiction and um, uh, and they're lost um, not only from you but estranged from families. I pray that he one day will have people placing him on a family list saying, I want Steve there as my family representative. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for using us in spite of our brokenness. Um, Father, we just, uh, what a blessing to have Steve with us, and we thank you for him. We thank you so much for Jesus, which makes all of these relationships possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, if there's one thing I've learned from doing this podcast, and I say this every week, is um, it's that no matter what road we've traveled, that God has the ability to take our stories and to make it into a story that shines the light back on Jesus. And it's our hope that the people listening to this, to Steve's story today, that you'll find confidence in knowing that God can and he will use your story. Am I right, Steve? Absolutely right, Doug. And uh, so we'd appreciate any comments, comments rather, feedback, and uh, anything you have for us on Unbroken Jars podcast. You can leave those comments or feedback at unbrokenjars at gmail.com. Please understand that our goal is always to honor God by the experience of real life stories and real faith you hear on this podcast. May God bless you in your life as you live out your story of real faith in your